This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividends so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We've got a guest who we all know and we've all watched for a number of years and we're going to be exploring a a different side to him today, a side that I didn't know much about and I'm very interested to unpack. Absolutely. This is a continuation of our expert investor series. I would probably frame this more as future expert investor because for reasons that we'll dig into a bit later, but we're very, very honored to welcome Australian cricketer, Usman Khawaja, to the show. Welcome, Usman. Thanks for having me, boys. And I'm definitely not an expert, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm glad that Bryce said he's very excited for this show because I've every single show I've actually listened to, he said he's very excited. So if you gave me anything less than very excited, I was about to blow up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hang up, leave the interview, done. Yeah, oh, that's not, I'm out. <laughs> I think it's right that it's a future expert investor. You're saying you're not an expert now, but I reckon you're going to have some good insights and track your journey as we track ours and you, you'll be an expert soon enough. Yeah, cheers, Ren. I, I, I keep saying your name there. It's Alec. It's throwing me off, but look, <laughs> I, 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 actually love, I actually love listening to you guys. So I'm very excited to be on the show. So thanks for having me. No worries. So I guess the reason we reached out is we we came to understand that you were pretty interested in the markets, had been listening to the show a bit, and also at the start of your investing journey. And so we love trying to understand what it's like for people to go through that beginner phase, particularly as you mentioned that you, you started right just before COVID hit. So very interested to see sort of your thoughts around that sort of process. But before we do, I'll throw across to Ren to obviously kick off with our, our game. Well, for people who aren't familiar with Usman Khawaja, we might we might give a brief bio. Who's not familiar with Us- Usman Khawaja? <laughs> As people already know, Usman is an Australian cricketer, currently represents Australia and Queensland. He's played 44 test matches for Australia and 41 day internationals. Most people from Australia will know him and we're not going to talk about cricket at all. Or we might touch on it, but yeah, we're excited to unpack a different side today. We like to start with a bit of a game overrated or underrated where we throw out some different themes and we get your thoughts on them so are you up for playing Usman? absolutely let's do this all right we'll start where we always start overrated or underrated the asx 200 index right now i'm going to answer this as you say i'm going to answer this as a mom and pop investor right because oh. i'm not i'm not a day trader and i'm not out there to make the quick bucks so that's how i'm going to answer this and when i look at it in my, you know, extensive six-month history on the equity markets, uh, <laughs> I see from what I've seen long-term, and that's how I invest, I think it's underrated. I've come from a property background, just like 98% of Australians do. Yep. And when I look at the what the equity markets have done, even over the last six months, and I came at a really poor time, that was a good lesson learned, but I did, I still think there's a lot to investing in the equity markets and a lot of upside when you compare it to the other assets in Australia. And look, 
in short term, I'm still skeptical because I might not know the equity markets, you know, as well as a lot of people in terms of experience, but I love economics. I've loved economics as a kid and even through high school. And I've always been in touch with Australian economics and global economics. And it was really weird for me to see the share market rally that we saw after COVID hit. And I was, you know, I'm very lucky that my father-in-law, John, Big John, as I call him, um, is a financial planner and has been involved in the markets for a long time. So I'm always talking to him. He's the one who I sort of, you know, gave me the encouragement to get into it. You know, I was really hesitant. But when I look at the markets short term, I'm really cautious. I'm thinking, yes, they might be a little bit overrated or overvalued, as you guys say. When I look at what's happening with unemployment, what's happening around Australia, Victoria, not only that, but around what's happening around US makes me very uncertain short term. But I'm not in it for the short term. I'm in it for the long term. So long term, I'm thinking it's underrated. Nice. Sad to hear that it wasn't equity mates that sort of pushed you over the edge and got you into the market. First, but it was you, were the John, okay. you were the first people I followed when I got into it. No, <laughs> right. my, mate Glenn, my mate Glenn got you in this guy. I actually saw your Instagram page. And I'm like, who are these clowns? Cause I, I thought you were just on Instagram. And then I'm like, oh, they do podcasting. All right, I have listened to them. And then, then I was hooked. Then I was hooked. Nice. So a concept that is pretty uh, popular for people that at the start of their investing journey is micro-investing. So I'd like to get your thoughts, overrated or underrated micro-investing. When you say micro-investing, are you talking about like dollar cost averaging? Is that what you mean or do you mean? So if you look at some of the apps that are available out there at the moment, you've got Rays um, or Spaceship where you, where you can literally take cents uh, yes, as little right. as $5 and it, you know, it invests yep. um, your, your spare change essentially. To be honest, I'm not really into that. I think the brokers that you have in Australia are pretty good. I mean, you can put cents and whatnot into it, but you know, I'm not a big trader. I'm not out there trading $100,000 or whatever per trade, but I think micro-investing is very personal. I mean, if you want to trade really small, I think it's very good. And if you don't, you probably just don't want to do it. You're probably just happy with the normal brokers that you have in every day. So don't probably don't have enough information on micro-investing, but I'm going to say underrated because I think different strokes for different folks. Nice. So we, we asked you about the ASX 200. If we go over to the States, the NASDAQ 100 has had an unbelievable run led by some very big names. So overrated or underrated, the NASDAQ 100 index? I'm going to say it's almost the same answer as ASX. I think in the long term, the NASDAQ and I love the NASDAQ. Um, I love US stocks. I love tech. I love tech stocks that they have over there. Mm. I think long-term underrated because US, if you look at the history and history I know is not, you know, just because it happened in the past doesn't mean it happened in the future, but they've broken the ceiling over and over and over again. Where at the ASX, you know, we were 6,800, whatever, around 2008 before the financial crisis, whenever that happened around there. And then we got back up to 7,000 and we struggled to break that. But the US markets just keep breaking it over and over and over again. So crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable. And when I look at the stocks, obviously we talk about the Fangham stocks, the tech stocks. I can't see tech getting any smaller. And if COVID has shown us anything, it's only getting bigger. They got some pretty good companies there when I look at those tech stocks. And when you look at, you know, artificial intelligence, everything else, science wise, moving forward, I can only see them getting bigger. At the moment, I'm still cautious seeing how stocks like Tesla have been going up <laughs> after COVID. And, you know, US has 3.3 million people with the virus or they've been tested mm. positive with the virus and, you know, almost 150,000 deaths from it. You know, Texas has been a shutdown for a while. I have a family over in Texas and friends that have just said like nothing's happening over there right now. So I actually don't really understand what's going on from an economic point of view. But if this has taught me anything that, you know, the market's not always rational, and I, in the short term, I'm still very, very cautious as to whether there's going to be another you know, retractment or drop in the market in the US. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, whatever happens in the US pretty much happens in Australia. So short term, I'm going to say, yes, maybe overvalued, overrated. But long term, I still think it's an excellent opportunity to invest in the US. Something that we obviously have no idea about what is going to happen in the future. I read an interesting stat today, though. Hamish Douglas, who is the fund manager and, and co-founder of Magellan, he brought out the stat that in Australia, $9 billion has been the net buying position of 
retail investors in Australia since the drop in March. So retail investors, you and I and Ren have just been going gun ho. However, the institutional investors are net $11 billion on the sell side. So not only is there a divergence <laughs> between markets and economy, there seems to be a divergence between institutional investors and retail investors. So <laughs> yeah, it's a scary thought because yeah. you know, no one really knows what's happening in the markets, but the obviously institutions have dealt with it for a long time and they know what they're doing. So you're always a bit, oh, why aren't they buying? <laughs> yeah. all, all, all that all that tells me is that the institutions all missed out on the the massive rally they, they did and honestly i was not expecting the rally to be what it was <laughs> i don't think anyone I you guys no too, and i could tell you guys were just waiting for the market to dip back down and so it was a high percent we, we did a whole podcast on it yeah. when it, yeah, when it got 50 percent yeah. retracement we were like it's, it's we'll probably gonna drop again i'm with you and <laughs> I'm, we were wrong. I'm like I'm, I'm happy because i did invest when it was down but i was like at the same time i'm like oh uh, I don't I don't get what's going on here. So it's a good lesson again. I don't know. No one knows. Yeah. We weren't investing during the JFC. So for us, this was the first massive crash and recovery and yeah. learned a lot. We didn't get it all right, but we learned a lot. Yeah. Mm. A couple more to go. So you mentioned that you started your investing journey in property. So keen to hear your thoughts. Overrated or underrated Australian residential property? Extremely, extremely overrated. Obviously, my investing journey in shares has been fairly new, but I've been investing in property since I was 21. Yeah, 21, 22, where I bought my first property when I was living in Sydney. And for me, when I look at the property market, okay, Sydney, I think Sydney is still a great buy. But the issue is Sydney is so expensive. Median house price is about $1 million. And that's tough work. That's tough work for anyone, right? The majority mm-hmm. of people, that's pretty tough work. And that's a big capital. You have to you have to dish out 20% most times to just get into that. And I still think Sydney is a great place to buy if you can buy. When I look at Melbourne, yeah, maybe. But when I look at the other places like Brisbane, property market here has been flat for a long time. I mean, suburbs go up 10% for about two or three years and then just stop again. And when I look at obviously what happened in Western Australia with the mining boom, and then the subsequent drop from there. Tassie's come up a little bit and South Australia's all right. But when I'm looking at thriving Canberra. Yeah, thriving Canberra. I've seen that too. But <laughs> at the end of the day, what really frustrates me about property markets is that you have to deal with so and you guys hate fees, right? Stamp duty. My mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Stamp duty yeah. kills me. You pay five percent on a property straight up when you buy it. Like, are you serious? And then not to, you know, you have to pay conveyancing fees, you know. And if you're selling the property, mm-hmm. you have to then pay an agent. If you're renting the property, you have to sell an you know, have to you know give commission to an agent again. Then there's the big issue about maintenance. Something goes wrong, you're you're responsible for that. Yeah, you can I know you can negatively gear and all that, but the last and biggest one for me, I guess, is the liquidity. Like you mm. have no liquidity whatsoever when you put such or you're almost putting all your eggs in a basket. If for most people, if you're buying property, because you probably have one, two, three properties, you know, if you're if you're going really well. And for me, it's just frustrating because I just think there's so many more upsides to the equity market than there is the property market. And the growth is not too dissimilar. I mean, you can depending on your risk and how much risk you want to take. It can it can depend on that, but for me, the property market is very overrated, and I've been in it for the last ten years, and it's been frustrating me for a long time. Show me a house that's gone up seven hundred percent since March twenty three, like Afterpay has. <laughs> and I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I, I try to not go there because <laughs> I'm sure for every Afterpay story is also another story where everyone's lost yeah, everything. You rule, no Afterpay. <laughs> yeah, that is a serious outlier. I think a lot of people could say some, you know, put in some serious outliers in the Sydney market too. So last one in this uh, overrated, underrated game, an asset class that gets a lot of attention and a lot of hype and a lot of controversy is Bitcoin. So overrated or underrated Bitcoin? I'm going to say underrated. Is it you, Ren? Did you own Bitcoin? Or do you both own it? I, I own a little yeah. bit. I think Bryce does as <laughs> okay, well. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, I'm, I'm, off the, yeah. I'm the same. I don't own any Bitcoin. But I don't think there's any harm in owning a little bit of Bitcoin because I feel like the upside yeah, is so high. So even if you like buy like a grand or two grand worth or $500 worth, you know, anything, there is a mm. lot. It, it could actually blow up into something massive. There's obviously supply and demand. There's only a certain amount of supply out there, the way it's been going. No one really knows what it is. So I wouldn't tell anyone to uh, go out and put 20 grand <laughs> of Bitcoin or 50 grand of Bitcoin. I'd 
but I think it's worth just being in it for the sake of mm. the upside is so massive. So yeah, I'm going to say yeah. underrated just for that reason. We don't know what it's going to be. It might be a pile of crap, but hey, who knows? You got to be in it to win it, don't you boys? Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. Well, ten years ago it was a dollar, yeah. and now it's nine thousand US dollars. Yeah. So, and people are talking about it being in a bear market. Yeah. So, I don't understand it. I don't know if there's anything to it, but you'd be happy if you held it for ten years. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> so, Usman, we like to start these interviews with the story of people's first investment, and obviously, you were saying you just started investing before COVID. So it's probably very fresh in your mind. Can you tell us the story of what led you to decide to invest at the start of this year and what you invested in and were there any lessons that came out of it? So do you want to know about my first investment in my life or first investment on the equity market? Let's do life and then we'll jump into Bryce equity. is nodding for life. So let's go life and then we'll get into stock later. <laughs> Life's a bit different. See, I reckon I'm, my parents immigrated here in 1990 and we were in Sydney in a little crappy apartment in Centennial Park, which is, it was a really nice area. But I went to Paddington Public High School. And do you remember, I don't know if you guys did it, you used to get like that little Commonwealth Bank little checkbook and you used to like put money yeah, in yeah. it. The do- dollar mark yeah, you used to put money in it and yeah, get it yeah. in. And I, and I used to do that all the time. And I was thinking about it the other day. I reckon that's my first investment because I was like saving up. My dad was putting in, I was giving it in. And after year three, we moved out west. So I left the school and the, the new school I went to didn't really do it. So I stopped investing there. And this was about 200. I think I probably would have accumulated about $200 at the time. And I totally forgot about it. And funnily enough, when I started playing, <laughs> this is a bit embarrassing, when I started playing for New South Wales or getting close to us, under-19s, play for Australia, I think I was Googling myself, as you do as a 19-year-old. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> seeing what's out there. And I came up with this like page of like Commonwealth Bank. It was like, you know, something along the lines of money, not like, you know, just sitting there, undisclosed, uh, you know, funds that are just sitting there. It had my name on it had my name. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Not, not many people named Usman Tarek Kowaja in the world, let alone Australia. So I had a look at it. I'm like, oh crap, that's the same money that I'm, that I'm putting in when I was younger. They kept it in. They had nowhere else because I, I left. They didn't have any phone numbers, any address. That was the same money I had 10 years ago. So by that time, <laughs> like in the 90s, interest rates are pretty good too. So it was a savings account. Yeah. <laughs> at that yeah. time, interest rates were real good. And it ended up being about $700 I got out of it. So I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. I got $200 to $700. So that was my first investment. I don't think I got any of it because my dad went and claimed it. And I think he put it in his back pocket, <laughs> which is fair enough. Which is fair enough. That's true set and forget investing. That is true Big set time. and forget, yeah. How about the days when interest rates were 7% or 9% yeah. or whatever they were back then? Exactly. That's why it went up so much. You're not getting that now. But So it was when something else that obviously I had no idea about and I'm not sure if many other people would, but you're actually a qualified commercial and instrument rated pilot. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, correct. But, um, <laughs> I lost good. my instrument rating, but I can get it back. Yeah, I was. You have, to, nice. you have to renew that every 12 months. So I don't have that anymore, but I can get it if I want. So was this the chosen sort of career path that you were heading down if cricket hadn't turned out to what it is today? Yeah, definitely. I, I remember at university, my first choice was flying. My second choice was economics. I don't even care about what my third choice was really. And it was just pretty much them two. And for me, it was more of a backup plan. I love cricket. All I wanted to do was play cricket, but I was also a realist and I knew that not many people have the opportunity or, or get to the point where they play cricket professionally. It's a very cutthroat environment, very cutthroat sport. I knew that the chances of it are still small, no matter how good you are at the game or how good you think you are at the game. So for me, it was more of a backup plan. I always said if I didn't play professional cricket by I was, you know, till I was 24, that I was going to stop playing and go fly. And for me, I think I graduated when I was 21 and debuted for New South Wales and became a professional cricketer pretty much couple of weeks, three weeks after that. So it actually worked out really well. But yeah, it was always one of those things, a backup plan. I love flying, so it was an easy decision. Nice. If cricket weren't to be a thing right now, would you be a fund manager or a commercial pilot? <laughs> I'd be I'd be a fund manager if that allowed me to stay at home. I've been traveling my entire life. I've been last yeah. 10 years, boys. I've, I, I literally, I think the last two years, I, I probably spent maybe – a month in my bed. I'm not even I'm not even exaggerating because I was away playing county cricket and then I was away playing for Australia and then 
Australian A Series and then World Cup and then Ashes and then two years gone like that. I mean, that's why I don't think, you know, I've been talking about doing lots of like home stuff. I've been on Fox Sports on Sundays and talking about cricket and stuff on there. And I've been mentioning how much I've been doing around the house because I haven't been home for three years. So I think that's probably the hardest yeah, part yeah. about cricket, footy and sports in Australia. There's just weekend sports and you stay in Australia and you're in that routine. But the hardest part about cricket is you're always traveling. So I think I'd take the fund manager job if it meant that I could stay at home because, yeah, I haven't had a lot of time at home lately. So Usman, I started asking you before about your first stock investment. So we might uh, <laughs> we might get that story out of you now. So yeah, after investing in property for a number of years, you decided to take the plunge into the stock market. So can you talk us through maybe why you didn't invest in stocks earlier, like what your attitude was towards the stock market and then what sort of helped you change? Obviously, Bryce and I in the podcast <laughs> was number one, <laughs> as well as that. And then, yeah, tell us about your first investment in, in the share market. The equity market just scared me. Everything, when we were coming into cricket, we had a lot of financial planners come in. Everything was about property, property, property. And then when you talk about, you know, property so tangible, you, you know, bricks and mortar, you can feel it, you can touch it almost. And everything about share market was kind of scary. You know, you sort of putting your money into businesses and you didn't know what happened. You heard so many stories about fluctuations in the market. And probably for me, I was scared a little bit too because – my dad invested in the NASDAQ around what year would have been around 19, late 1990s. And he did really well. And then he made a few mistakes in terms of he started being a bit too speculative and something I'm very, very mindful of not doing ever. I'm all long-term now because I've seen, you know, my dad had some really good days and then lost a lot of money um, from that. And that put a sour taste in my mouth. And so I always stayed away from the markets because, you know, I look after my dad, he's a very smart man. And for him to make the mistakes he did always scared me. Even 2010, I wanted to invest into the equity market. I thought, ah, oh, I've got a property. I wouldn't mind investing in some shares. And I remember I went to a fund man, like a broker, like a fund manager. And I said, like, you know, I, I want to invest this, that. And we got to the final stages and my dad was like, yeah, I just don't like it. And I didn't invest. And I saw what happened in the markets after that. I missed that opportunity. And it was a really good learning curve from there because I saw the markets when they were down and what happened and I saw what I missed. And so back around 2017, 18, I thought, oh, I want to get back into the markets. You know, I've done a lot more research from now till then. I'm a bit older. I understand myself emotionally because that's very important when you're investing and just the markets in general I can sort of understand what they're about. So then I started talking to John, who luckily my wife, as I mentioned, a father-in-law who's been involved in this. And I just kept picking his brain, kept picking his brain. And I was obviously smart enough to know that the best time to invest is when the market you know, drops. And historically, it always retracts at some stage. It does. And it always corrects itself. And so I just kept waiting from 2017, 18, 19 i was like i was just waiting i was like and the market just kept going up and it was killing me i was like come on man it got to a point where i thought well i'm a long-term investor i've waited this long you know the market's just gonna you know they look like they're just gonna keep going up a bit of fomo and as i as i mentioned emotional a little bit of emotion might have came in there because i was like well they're gonna keep going up I might as well invest now. And ETFs to me are the closest things that are similar to the property market, sort of put into them, set and forget sort of thing. You don't have to worry too much about them, just set and forget. And I invested, I think, around probably three weeks before COVID hit. I think the market was around 6,800. I waited. I waited when it was 65, just kept going. 6,800, I invested and then it went up a little bit. I thought, how good is this? I'm back. I'm, I'm in this game. How good is it? And then it just went poof and drop straight away and i was invested in etfs and etfs the sell-off that we saw in covid like they got hurt pretty less like everything else it got hurt badly and probably one of the biggest mistakes that was you know i didn't invest all my money obviously into it but i invested a fair bit of chunk of money into it and, and i lost a fair bit of chunk and it was a really good lesson on how i would go about things afterwards and now i'm stringent dollar cost average no matter what's happening because you know I'm, i think there's just a lot less risk when you invest that way. So that was my first investment. I invested into ETFs. I think there was about four different ETFs I invested on the ASX. And yeah, three weeks into it, it got badly hurt. So you speak about emotion there, Uzi, and obviously I completely agree with you. And, and you know, 
Ren and I speak about it a lot on the show. It's one of those things that takes ages as an investor to master your emotion and understand how you react to markets and what sort of investing style works best for you as a person. And I've certainly, you know, both Ren and I have stories of taking losses early in the day and me particularly succumbing to emotion and, you know, selling out probably when I shouldn't have. I get the impression that when the market dropped, you stayed in. What was it about that particular crash or, you know, you hadn't experienced that before? Why didn't you panic or talk us through that sort of emotional period? Because I waited so long for the market to drop, I was fortunate (laughs) that, you know, the worst thing could have been if I invested everything I had to invest and the market dropped, then you're cooked. You've got nowhere to go. Luckily, I was forward enough to think that if the market did drop, I wasn't expecting it to, but if it did, that I would have some money to reinvest. And that's the hardest thing. Honestly, the hardest thing is to to invest when it's dropping. I think I was really fortunate. I invested a lot on the day where the market dropped at around 4,500. I bought individual shares in things like Kogan and Seek. When Kogan was about $4, Seek was quite low too. It was just lucky that I got it at that day. I was expecting the market to drop a little bit more too. So I didn't invest all my funds that day either. And when you look back in hindsight, you're like, oh, I could have invested more. But I thought I was worried, you know, the way it was going, I was like, well, it's a great time. It'd be silly for me not to invest now because this is what I've been waiting for. And as hard as it is to invest now, I'm a long-term investor. If the market drops back down to 3,500, that's fine. I've got it at 4,500 and it was at 7,000. So that's, that's that's a sale, right? And you've got to try to get your emotions out of it and think five, 10 years ahead. And that's what I was seeing. I was like, okay, I can drop more. It's not going to affect me because I don't need this money that I'm investing right now immediately. I'm, I don't need this immediately. I think that's really important that you don't feel like you're investing money that you need right now. I feel like, you know, I've got a buffer. If you're lucky enough, you've got savings, you can invest that for the long term. And that's how I went back into the market. And yeah, I was quite lucky that all the losses I had from that time as obviously the markets come back up, I've made up all those losses, but obviously it can drop back down. But that's where the emotion sort of comes into it. It's very easy to invest when everything's going fine, you're happy, but it's very hard when you're seeing the market drop like it was. So I stuck to my guns. I think that's the main thing. You stick to your plan, stick to your guns. Yeah, I think that that goes a long way. So you've uh, you've mentioned there a couple of aspects of your investing philosophy, I guess, in buying for the long term, buying ETFs. You mentioned there having a plan. Did you go into your first investments and your first few months of investing with a set investing philosophy and a set investing plan that you want to stick to? The philosophy for me is I'm not a big risk taker when it comes to money. And it was never going to be a risk taking. I'm not a guy who's going to invest 10 grand trying to make a million dollars out of it, right? If I get 10% for the rest of my life, I'll be very happy. And anything above that is a bonus. I'm very, very conscious of not being greedy. I'm not a trader. I'm not a day trader. My income is not derived from the property market. My income is derived, obviously, I'm a cricketer. So that's where I get my income. And the property market is an investment tool for me. So I use it as an investment tool. And... For me, it's sort of managing that risk. That's why I like ETFs to an extent, especially ETFs, global ETFs. I mean, I, I heard your podcast with, I think it was Lars, can't say his last name, Kroger. I don't know how you say it. Kroger. Kroger, yeah. 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 And I really liked <laughs> listening to him because it was a really good podcast and it really related with me about you know setting, forgetting, and understanding that a lot of people can't beat the markets. It's so hard for people to beat them, even the best, the guys who have all the data, all the things in front of them to beat the markets is really hard, which is why it really frustrates me when a lot of the experts on your show, and I got, I'd really love listening to all your experts, but when you talk about ETFs, when a lot of them say ETFs are overrated, yeah, they might be overrated for them because they yeah. they can look at balance sheets. They got their P ratios and all this other jazz. But for a guy like Well, me, it's because it makes them look bad. Well, yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> it does. In a way, like ETFs, like they're great. And they're, if you do it right, like if, I guess in a way doing it right, when I say do it right, do it your way, do it what's right for you. I train every day just about, and I am i can't be on the markets all the time, even though, yeah, when I see, first thing I do is get my phone and look at the markets, I do, but I can't be doing it all the time. And I understand that. And I understand my limits. I've, I play with a few individual stocks, obviously, but my main goal is ETFs because for me, that makes more sense to my profile in terms of my risk aversion and 
me not understanding the markets as the expert investor. So I get really frustrated when I say that because I think ETFs are great for someone like me who's not going to go in there and look at balance sheets and do all this. So that's that's my sort of philosophy on it. You mentioned a bit earlier that when you came into cricket, they bring in the financial advisors and they're all sort of talking property, property to a number of the boys in the change rooms. We'd be interested to know is is investing in stocks and chat about the markets something of interest to the boys in the change rooms or are you kind of an outlier when it comes to this sort of thinking? Yeah, not much. Yeah, there's not much going on. It's all property. I think it's just, yeah, it's because it's just everything in Australia is all property, property, property. It just gets drilled down everyone's throats. I refused to look at equity markets for 10 years because of it. And I look back now and I'm like, I wish I just invested in an ETF when I was 21 years old and just kept putting it into it. I mean, I think when you look at it that way, I see the benefits and I think people are afraid of the property market. That's just how it is. And cricket is afraid of it. A lot of sportsmen don't get it. I think it might be a little bit more complex when you first start because this feels like there's a lot more, as you guys call it, you know, you know, the jargon, the words, you know, the, the technical words that throw you off a little bit and scare you a little bit. And everyone has pretty much everyone has to rent a place or buy a house. So you have to do it. It's almost a necessity to do it. So you learn you learn whether you like it or not, whether property mar- uh, equity markets, you don't really have to. So I think it's probably the difference there. Yeah. Well, we had uh, Ed Cowan on the show a little while ago. Yeah. So maybe you and him can lead the charge, you know, <laughs> get on, get in the ear of Australia, tell them to, to get some stock experts in as well. I listened, I listened to that podcast. I enjoyed it. I texted him straight after that. So Eddie's always been involved in this space. He's a very smart man. Uh, I've known him for a long time. He's, he's a terrific cricketer. And yeah, he's been involved in that whole share sort of side i remember him talking about it a long time ago but i didn't really take notice of it because i was like nah property's property's the best property, property's the shit i'm gonna stay in property so uh yeah he was ahead of us well look if the australian cricket association need a couple of ambassadors to help uh spread the message of the equity market amongst the australian <laughs> cricket team then, uh, you know who's number to give them <laughs> uh, as long as you guys give me some good tips uh i'll be happy but i'm gonna hold you to them too <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you guys talked about, you, funnily enough, you mentioned Afterpay. We said we weren't going to mention Afterpay enough, but that was a funny one because I talked about investing when the market was down and I invested in Afterpay when it was down, I invested in when it was about $9. It was really bizarre. I invested in $9. The next day it went up 40%. I remember I was on the golf course with my father-in-law. He's like, look at this. I was like, oh crap, I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm not, I know I'm not. I'm taking the piss, but I saw it go up 40%. And then funnily enough, that same time, I think it was a Monday after, it dropped straight back down to 40%. I'm like, oh boy. I'm like, all right, I'm back to where I started. And I just sort of started, obviously, my my journey then. But I built, I was investing in the advisory market at the time with John and all sort of my assets were in there. But I'm like, I want to start my own because I want to take control of my own sort of you know, I want to be able to do things on my own. I don't have to rely on John all the time. So I started my own little bit and I was with Comsec at the time and I bought Kogan and Seek the same day. I didn't realize they had a cap. They had a cap on like uh, smaller stocks at $7,000 if you didn't have any equity. I had all this equity in the advisory one, but it didn't have any equity in my actual account because it was so brand new. So I tried to buy Afterpay again on that day when it was down to about $8 and I'm calling up Comsec. I'm like, oh, I need to buy this thing. What's going on? Not that I knew after it was going to be like a like genius stock. I just knew it was a very good price to buy. They're like, yeah, look, we can't do it. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do it? I've got all this equity. I'm like, nah, look, you're going to have to put money into the account. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. What do I need to do? And like, nah, but it'll take two days. I'm like, you guys are killing me. Seriously, Comsec, you're killing me. <laughs> like, all I want to do. And so, I couldn't invest in Afterpay that day. I wanted to reinvest in Afterpay and they wouldn't let me. I, I blamed Comsec for it. I'm, I was off. Since then, I'm off Comsec. I was like, no, nah, I'm finding somewhere else. <laughs> Are you still holding Afterpay in your uh, other account? <laughs> no, nah, look, look, I, I sold Afterpay at about $30. Uh, so <laughs> I spewed. <laughs> no, nah, it's funny. You know what? I laugh at it and I think of it as another lesson. If I look back on it, I probably would have taken out what I put in and just left the rest of the money as almost like a bonus money and see whatever happens. Cause I believed in the stock. I actually did believe, and I still do 
because I saw it about four years ago when I tried to buy a basketball ring. I mean, I saw it at Revel and I'm like, what's this afterpay four years ago? And I didn't end up getting a ring because my wife made me return it because she didn't like it. But uh, <laughs> I saw afterpay then I was, and I looked at it, researched it. And so I knew what was what it was about and I'd been on it for a long time and I actually used it. So I actually really liked it. If I look back on it, I probably would have done that and not sold it at $30, which sucks. <laughs> at the time, I thought, how good is this? It was 300% rise. I'm like, this is, I actually thought the market was going to retract. And as we said, no one knows what the market was going to do. When I was looking at everything going on with COVID and stuff, like the market has to retract. And I was listening to you guys too. So you guys were saying it. So I blame you guys. I like what you said there about Afterpay that you saw it in your everyday life, you know, when you're at Rebel. And that's very much like the Peter Lynch style of in investing in what you know and finding stocks in the world around you that people around you are using because they're generally doing something right. So you mentioned there that as well as Afterpay, there are a couple of other individual stocks that you decided to invest in. Can you talk us through, you know, how you chose those ones? Was it was it a similar thing that you use them in your everyday life? Yeah. What was that stock selection process like? Yeah, that's exactly right. And Ed Cowan said the exact same thing to invest in sort of what you believe in and what you know. I'm a big tech guy. I love science. I love tech. I gravitate towards tech without even trying because that's what I use in my everyday life. So Kogan wasn't a random one. I've used Kogan for about 10 years, I reckon. When I was using it a long time ago to buy mobile phones, to buy other things. Afterpay, I've seen it, as I said, at Rebel and I, I, I used it afterwards. Things like zero, like my accountant always sent me to sign stuff and I saw zero on there. I'm like, what's this zero? And I, I've been doing it for years using zero. Seek, I obviously don't use Seek, but I know a lot of people that do. <laughs> yeah, looking for a number, probably not looking a for a number three Batman. If anyone's looking for a number three, I'm available. Um, so I'm so big on taking, I think Next DC was another one that I invested in, but I'm just big on tech stocks in terms of where they're going, where they're leading. You see the NASDAQ and you see how great tech stocks are and you see our ASX is obviously dominated by the banks. And the banks are awesome. When they get their dividends back up, you know, COVID goes past, the banks are great. But I can really see the tech stocks really dominating the ASX in the future, just like they have in the US markets. So for me, I think logically, which is, there's no logic in the markets, obviously, but that's the only way I can rationalize when I'm buying individual stocks. As I said before, I'm no expert. So that's what I, st I stick to what I know and what I use. And I believe in the product, Collins Food Stocks, and I'm an avid KFC man. So <laughs> invested in them too. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so to give some context, I guess, around how you construct your portfolio. So you mentioned sort of, you know, five or six individual stocks there, but equally you started your journey with ETFs, you kind of felt that they were the base and a good way to get into the market. And as a beginner investor, understanding how to build a portfolio that is somewhat defensive or I guess in line with your emotion and that sort of stuff, how do you think about constructing your portfolio or do you give it any thought at all? And what sort of your percentage weight, I guess, between ETF and individual stocks? No, I do. And it's very important and it's very different for every individual on where you are in your life, what you want to achieve. I think where I'm at in my life, I'm more interested in sort of the growth, the capital development, the capital sort of appreciation. And for me, dividend stocks, I'll have a few dividend stocks, but I'm more in terms of the growth. So when I'm investing in individual stocks, I'm thinking mid-cap, things I think are growing, not necessarily giving a lot of dividends. I think if you do well on them, eventually they'll turn into big enough companies that do provide dividends. And then that's only, for me, in an ideal world, that'd be about maybe 30% of my entire investing. And the rest, 70% would be in ETFs. I think, as I said, ETFs are a lot simpler. They're a lot more set and forget. They give you the option of investing on the ASX on international, you know, you got that, uh, you know, the NDQ and the VGS and the you know, the VGAD if you if you want a hedged one and all these different ETFs that provide a lot of great exposure to international markets too. So for me, as I said, I'm quite risk averse. I'm not here to make a million percent every year. I'm quite happy if I can average 10%. I'd obviously like to average more, but it's not the end. I'm very happy because, you know, 2 3% inflation, 
you know, minus that from, yeah. you know, what you, what you get. And I think it's, it's very important for me and my philosophy to be reasonable and to not get greedy. It's just the way that I live my life and the way I like to construct, I guess, my portfolio. And I think that's very important when everyone and individual is doing their own portfolio. You got to look at your own life and think, well, you know, what's going to be right for me? How much risk can I take and still live a healthy and decent life? I think it's very important. So Usman, for someone who is relatively new to the share market, you have a pretty clear idea of, you know, what your investing philosophy is and how you're thinking about controlling your emotions and stuff like that. So I'm interested to know what resources you use to sort of help you develop this philosophy and help you learn about the markets and stuff like that. Were there any that you found particularly useful and you would recommend to other people in a similar you know, situation thinking about investing or having just started investing? Not to float your own guys' buzz, but I think podcasts are great. I think <laughs> Equity Mates is actually that was the whole reason we asked that question. <laughs> Look, I love listening to you guys. I actually do. I get a lot of it. I listen to you know you on the way to the way to training pretty much most days. If you guys got new podcasts out, whether it's even talk about simple things as brokers, I was listening to your conversation about brokers the other day, and I was you know listening to you talk about IG, and obviously Bryce talk about self wealth, which which I use. And, you know, you sort of listen to it and you got your own commentary, but I think it just creates a lot of great conversation. You learn little bits and pieces along the way. I mean, I've always read the financial review. I think that's great. That's the first thing I probably do when I wake up in the morning. I go on the financial review and, and read what's going on. And I've obviously grown up in Sydney, so I'm still a subscriber of the Sydney Morning Herald. I read that. I think we're very lucky. YouTube has a lot of great info in there. It's up to the individual to decide what's good and what's fluff. And you got to be careful with that because there is a lot of information out there. But once you start listening to it and hearing it, you see trends, you see people saying the same thing. And I've always been a big believer where they smoke their fire. If everyone's saying similar things, then there must be something to it. So I think that's probably my main gist about how I go about and getting information from different sources. Uzi, just before we move to our final three questions, which of course you're going to know exactly what they are. So maybe we'll test you and not ask them and you just answer them all in a row. <laughs> no, kidding. Um, obviously, we love to have a bold prediction at the start of each year, 2020. And we're probably putting you on the spot a bit here. But knowing that you know, you're still a bit cautious about how markets are going at the moment, a lot to play out over the next sort of six months here in Australia, both overseas, still very much in COVID mentality, but markets doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Do you have a bold prediction for how you think markets might end or how you think, I don't know, the Australian cricket team might end. (laughs) Uh, We'll stick to the markets. (laughs) Obviously, pure guess. No one has any idea. But I still think there's a retraction in the cut. I still think there's another correction. And that's been my gut for a long time. I'm looking at the US. It's not in a great state. Whether you look at the economy, where it's at, you know, the COVID cases, the civil unrest over there right now, there is a lot going on. Not to mention there's a there's an election coming up at the end of the year and you've got this guy named Trump who's absolute rogue and <laughs> you just don't know what to expect. There are so many things that can happen between now and then. And I feel like it's more things that can happen than usual. And then even let's bring China into it and what's going on in China at the moment with Hong Kong and you know them flexing their muscle, them flexing their muscle against Australia. And you're like, what's going on over there in China? There's so much going on. I, I feel like there's a retraction on the cards this year. I just don't know how much or when. I can't imagine it's going to be anything like we saw in COVID because I think that was more like end of world retraction going on there, like end of world. We're going walking dead, you know, zombie apocalypse type of thing. That happens so quickly and so fast. I'm not sure if it's going to happen that quickly. I actually don't think it's going to happen that quickly, but... My guts are telling me that there's going to be a correction this year at some point. And yeah, when they'll be, I'm not really sure. But I mean, I've been waiting for it for a long time with you, as you guys have. So I'm going to stick to it. Thinking about buying anything or positioning your portfolio in in any way, given that bold prediction? Yeah. Or are you thinking long-term hold for No, I've it? got savings that I haven't used up yet for that reason. And that's why I'm dollar cost averaging. And that's why I love dollar cost averaging. So, I mean, I'm not not investing because I think it's going down. I will still slowly, steadily keep investing. But if I see an opportunity rise up like it did last time, then yeah, I'm going to go after it again. I think that's, as I said, that's a part of my philosophy. You know, it's, I've always said it's a win-win situation. If I invest now and it goes up, happy days, I'm winning. And if I invest 
you know, now and it goes down, happy days. I'll invest and get more shares for a lot better price. It's a win-win scenario for me in the long term. So, you know, that's I'm going to stick that. I like that. I like that attitude. Yeah. Well, we have your bold prediction on recording now. So if it does pan out, <laughs> I'm going to be a genius. I'll have, I'll, I would have had Afterpay and that now. I'd be like, come on, boys. <laughs> yeah, you can't get the thing. It's, it's got to happen. <laughs> Before we get to our final three questions, we normally hand off if our guest has any uh, social media or anything. Obviously, you've got a big cricket profile and um, people can follow all of your cricket exploits. Is there anywhere that you're, you're posting about, you know, finance or anything like that? Or uh, nah. are you going to convert your Instagram <laughs> to, a, to a financial feed? Nah, no, <laughs> fo- no, no, not quite. I wouldn't be that game, but I do have a podcast that starts up. So if anyone interested in kicking it with Kawaji, it's called. It's a bit of fun. There's, there's some really great guests out there. I reckon I might try to get you two out there at some point, get you involved. I, I like to talk to people from all walks of life. So if anyone's interested in something a little bit different than finance kicking in with kawaji have a go nice 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 yeah people should subscribe and they may see us there one day yeah definitely no, definitely <laughs> we'll see you on i'm getting you don't worry definitely. <laughs> nice one so uh we'll get into the final three questions and we won't do what bryce said where we just test you and see if you remember the final <laughs> three we'll we'll actually ask you <laughs> the first question is do you have any books that you consider must read Look, I read a lot. I actually love reading. I read everything, fictional, you know, nonfiction. But finance, when I feel like it has to be relevant to equity, mates, I haven't read a lot on finance, but I do have a must read, I guess, in some respect. I read a book, I think it's called That Will Never Work, and it was about the Netflix story. I think Mark Randolph might have wrote it, Uh, one of the CEOs, initial CEOs of Netflix. And it's not, this is a fairly new book. I think it only came out a year or two ago, but it was an absolute great read. And being a tech guy myself, just to see where they started from selling their DVDs, you know, online and then renting them online to subscription online. And then to see how the tech actually caught up to them and where they went from there. It's an amazing story. I think it's a great way to see life in general about, especially from the technological side, about how things evolve and how quickly things evolve. And I think it's a it's a great lesson to see where the world is actually headed. So that's one book that I really enjoyed and it's a good one. It's about Netflix. So if you like Netflix and chill, read it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice one. I, I love that. I, uh, I think Netflix is one of the best stories of just the hardest pivots of a business you know, just disrupting yeah. themselves, doing completely changing their business model. Yeah, so I'll definitely check that book out. Nice. The second question is, what's your go-to source for investing information? I think I touched on it earlier, so I probably won't go too much. It's, it's really, you know, I, I like reading. So I, in terms of reading the Australian Financial Review, I read a lot online on different places that might be, you know, equity mates competition. Uh, So I won't mention him. I think it depends on what you like and what you relate to. But I think for me, you know, Australian Financial Review is great. Just reading online in general is great. Being subscribed to YouTube, I follow a few people that I really like listening to. They speak, you know, they talk about logic. They talk about the market movements in terms of trends. They don't talk about any emotion. I follow them too. I think that's it's really important to just get a whole range of different places to get your information. So there's not really any one. I sort of use bits and pieces everywhere and obviously have – Comsec, which I don't trade through anymore, but they've got some pretty good stuff too. So, um, lost a customer. Yeah, they lost Comsec a customer. Needs to lift their, lift their I'm actually waiting. For, I'm actually going to make sure I get Bryce's handle on a self wealth account so I can figure out what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Tracking him. Strategically, it is not my name, would you believe? Yeah, mine it, isn't so. either. Mine isn't either. Don't you worry. Just like look for someone like in the look for someone in the top one percent. You'll find me there. Time. So arrogant. I saw that thing you put up the other day when you first bought your shares and your afterpay was like twenty seven thousand up from where you bought it and I was like yeah. All right, well done boys yeah <laughs> hey, it's better to be lucky than good yeah true yeah. true that and so the last question if you think back to your younger self you know saving in your dolomites account and then googling yourself in the under 19s and finding <laughs> that you'd actually made a bunch of interest on it what advice would you have for your younger self? I think it would be to I know we're on a on a money making podcast in a way but I think it's to find balance. I think it's really important that you invest and you invest right for yourself. And I think you live a life 
that you never know when it's going to end. And I, it's, it's a bit deep to think about this kind of stuff, but you might not get to your 60s, right? So for me, it's about not getting too caught up in investing every single dollar you have, but to find a balance. Find a balance of things you enjoy doing in life too, you know, whether that's playing PlayStation or if you like, you know, if you like fast cars, there's nothing wrong. I know it's a depreciating asset, but there's nothing wrong in life about enjoying things. So I think for me, it's about having that balance, making sure you you keep one eye obviously on investing and for your future and for your family's future is very important. But also at the same time, make sure it's not the be it end all because I've seen a lot of anxiety and I'm big on that whole mental health region coming from cricket. There's a lot of ups, but there's probably even more downs that I've experienced throughout my careers. And it's taught me a lot of lessons in life. And one of them is to stay in the moment, to enjoy the moment and make sure you have a balance, everything in moderation. So if I told myself anything from a young age, it would probably be, you know, don't get caught up in everything else. Don't get caught up in what might happen 40 years from now. Try to find a balance and stay in the moment. And I think that's really important when you're investing because it can be very emotional at times and you need to make sure that you keep a check on that. Awesome piece of advice to finish there, Uzi. Something that certainly resonates with me and a lot of, I'm sure, a lot of other people in in the audience. So thank you for sharing, and also thank you for coming on the show. I think we've, you know, we've had a fascinating and fun conversation unpacking your short but uh, wild <laughs> investing journey. And despite only being sort of four or five months in, you certainly seem to have a pretty good grasp on who you are as an investor and and the strategies that you're trying to implement. So I think that's a really important takeaway for those that are listening that might be in a similar position as you. So looking forward to you returning in a year or so when we can put expert investor. Next <laughs> <to you> <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, boys. I really enjoyed it. And what you guys are doing for, you know, people like myself and the community is great. I love listening to you guys. You're doing a great job. So keep it up. Appreciate it. Thanks, you. man. Appreciate keep it. Touch. Cheers. Thanks a lot, yes. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.